the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Little flower, in this hour, show your power. Angel of God, my guardian dear, to whom God's love commits me here, ever this day be at my side, to light, to guard, to rule, and guide, amen. St. Thomas Aquinas, St. Therese, our guardian angels, all our holy angels and saints. May the souls of the faithful departed to the mercy of God rest in peace. In the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So, a slightly serious thing and a funny thing. Um, I'd like you to keep in your prayers Harrison Montgomery. He's a friend of, well, the brother of a friend of Mrs. Yarrow, who works in the office. And um, I was going to have even more roses, but I'm glad there are enough. And if more people come, then we'll we'll all get roses. But I sent some roses from us and really from St. Therese up to the Carmelites in Kensington, which is the Bay Area, because they were having this funeral for one of the sisters, brothers, if that makes sense. One of the religious sisters has a brother who died suddenly at 35. And they were a family of converts, but he had not actually converted. He was still searching, um, but he was a good guy, and he used to go and help them do things at the Carmel. So I'm sure Our Lady is not forgetting that, Um, but I'm sure that's sad for his family. So yeah, say a prayer for Harrison Montgomery. I've been um, trying to think of a prayer like Little Flower in this hour, show your power for St. Thomas, because it's really easy for me to just get off on St. Therese and leave St. Thomas out of this. So I came up with, dear St. Tom, you're the bomb, tell our mom. if it will become as famous as the Archbishop in India's Little Flower in This Hour, Show Your Power, which I learned years ago and I love because it's memorable and it works. So, um, yeah, Dear St. Tom, you're the bomb, tell our mom. Okay, that's my thought. Um, Speaking of St. Thomas, my husband is going to give a talk on Wednesday on St. Thomas Aquinas, the angelic teacher. I think I got that title right. And he, in his humility, there were like three signs put up. And this is kind of St. Thomas. We have a relic of St. Thomas here. And um, we gave Mr. Kelly a tie clip for being in our wedding. And then when my husband was in his wedding, he gave him a relic of St. Thomas. (laughs) It was a really nice tie clip. I guess he loved it. He couldn't figure out how to repay that. But St. Thomas doesn't like to leave our house. This is a relic of St. Therese for this side of the room. And Mrs. Dillon kindly brought her. And then on this side of the room, there's another little relic of St. Therese um, that a friend gave to me. But she will leave the house at a moment's notice, at the drop of a hat. If someone is sick, she wants to go. Someone needs help, she's there. In fact, I do believe that she visited the Hatrips years ago when Mr. Hatrip was finishing up his dissertation and going to defend it. And she will go, and St. Thomas is like, leave me out of this. Like, he stays home and does his work quietly from there. So it's a big deal that he's here. And... Similarly, my husband is giving this talk on St. Thomas, and I went up to put the signs up for St. Therese, who's a big self-promoter. Not me, but she is. <laughs> and I was going to put mine snuggling up to my husband's, and I think there were three signs for his talk. And I think I put up maybe a hundred and... <laughs> so anyway, it's at 3.45 on Wednesday, and you probably won't hear it from him or St. Thomas, so I'm telling you, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be great. It's going to be St. Thomas. And it's going to actually be intelligent and not just... Anyway, 
like his wife might provide for you. Hopefully this will be intelligent too, but it's gonna be on a higher level. It's a tutor talk, it's gonna be awesome. So I've been laughing lately at the propensity of people to say at the beginning of talks, a little housekeeping. Like who wants to do housekeeping at the beginning of a talk? St. Therese was terrible at housekeeping. She didn't do housekeeping as a child, and so she got to the convent, and when it was her turn to like sweep, she did it badly, and she said that first year in the monastery, I think a day didn't go by that she didn't have to like go down and kiss the floor in front of the prioress for doing something wrong, which she thought was great for her humility, but she was definitely af afraid of spiders, and she'd have to clean out cobwebs, and that was really hard for her. So we're not gonna call this housekeeping. We're gonna say, let me tell you a few things about this little talk tonight in our party. Um, there is a priest who's a retired, uh, let's see, a retired priest of the Archdiocese of New York and now lives in New Jersey. He is a great big fan of St. Therese, and I'm gonna tell the Riveras his, his name so they can find him. He's, um, he's just turned 90 last year, I think. My husband and I have spent most of our married life visiting our families because we never lived very close to them, and we're not people of great initiative or huge vacation plans, and so our first big, huge, magnificent trip after our honeymoon to Hawaii was like 30 years later when he came home one day and said, I'm not committed, and I said, to, what does this mean? Well, he was about to announce to me that he had been thinking that since there were bombings in Paris, it would be a great idea to go there. But he wasn't <laughs> committed to this trip. And when I tried to figure out why he was talking about this, he said, well, logically, if there are bombings in Paris and they're only on Saturdays, then the rest of the week is probably safe to fly in and the tickets will be cheap. <laughs> and we could go somewhere near Paris. Of course, we wouldn't want to stay in Paris, but we could go somewhere like maybe Lisieux. And I said, oh. <laughs> and I saw my husband, you've seen his hands, he likes to use them to gesture, and I saw his hand holding this tiny seed of my greatest hope of my life to go see St. Therese. And I thought, if I breathe, I will kill it. <laughs> so there was a lecture here, and I didn't say anything. This was in 2019 in Lent, and I just took my rosary with me, and during the lecture, I just prayed my rosary over and over, please let us go, please let us go, please let us go. And 24 hours passed, and in his very gentle way, he said the next day, you didn't, you, you didn't talk about this. Do you want to go? And I was like, oh, that might be nice. <laughs> Don't breathe, it might happen. And the next day he said, we should get tickets. Oh, so we'll get tickets for us and Dominic. And I thought, Dominic is a magnificent guy, you know him. But what young man in his right mind would want to go spend a week with his parents in a bunch of churches in Lisieux? So I said, I think he'd have more fun with his cousins. And then we went and got the tickets and we went. And we went to France, we went to Lisieux, that was our main thing. And we met this amazing priest there, like near the end of our trip. His name is Monsignor Ken Lachman. And he eventually helped me and encouraged me, along with Father Donald Kinney, a Carmelite priest, to publish a book that's back there, Something New of St. Therese, Her Eucharistic Miracle, that I talked to some of you guys about last year. And um, I have more of those books, so if you don't um, get a book and you didn't get one before, or if you want another one for someone, let me know. Because Monsignor Ken, said a couple years ago, can I give you money to help you spread the book? 
And I had these delusions of grandeur and thought, oh yeah, we'll make an audio book, like we'll go on tour. I don't know what I was thinking. I don't know what I was thinking. <laughs> but I realized this is a little life lesson. Don't just say yes when someone offers you money to do good things, because then you will have to do those good things <laughs> and it will take work and you'll have to be creative and figure out what to do. So I would like to pretend that I am so generous and spent TAC's money and my husband's that he makes here and bought you all these roses, but it was really Father Ken's money. So say a prayer for Father Ken when you think of it. Roses, the food that I brought, and a lot of the stuff on the back table. So the way the back table is going to work is that you all have holy cards of St. Thomas. And for people that just got here, hopefully Nicolette, does anyone not have a holy card of St. Thomas? Raise your hand up high, and then she'll make sure you get one. Yeah, you guys got to have them. So St. Therese was late. I'm going to put her in your boxes. But St. Thomas came through, which I think is great. Slow and steady. You know, these guys, these men, they're good. They show up. And I put a number on the back of each card. Actually, my friend did. And that number will be your ticket to going over to the table and picking out something. And I'll do it throughout the talk. So um, if there's something that you have seen at that table that you don't get or that you hear me talk about and that you want, I have a list. I realized the other day that when we went to France and I was trying to learn French before we went, all I really learned was, well, eventually I figured out that the one word I thought I knew, which is croissant, <laughs> is not really that way because they have a kind of W, like it's croissant. So that's one. But I realized I was super excited because I learned how to say je voudrais. So I said, je voudrais du sandwich. And we ordered two baguette sandwiches. And I was like, oh, this is great. <laughs> and then I realized that's so Theresean. I want. I choose all. Like, this is what I want. So I have a list called Je Voudrais that I'm going to put back there. And if there's a book that I talk about and that you really want, and you're a poor student or even a rich student, um, put your name and the book title and either like your, your dorm and your year would be fun because I like to know those things. And your full name would be great just because it's good to know and then I can find your box. If I can, in the future, I will get that book to you. Because as St. Teresa of Avila said, my love for reading has saved my soul. So we're going to put this back there. I feel like I've got Vienna White. This is a graduate of TAC, Nicolette Sutherland, and she teaches fourth grade at St. Sebastian's and is a dear, dear friend of me and St. Therese and St. Thomas. So yeah, I will put that on the table back there. And yeah, grab some roses for these people. And then also, um, I'm going to pass around, and I thought I had another pen, and I wonder if I, oh, here it is. These are fun, because this one says, I love Therese, and that one is from the Basilica in Lisieux. I, I'm definitely a kitsch person, so I like grabbed everything and brought it back. <laughs> um, this is a guest book. I have a guest book from our wedding, and I used it again when St. Therese was named a doctor of the church in 1997. My husband was teaching at Christendom, and there was a Father Jack Riley, who's a diocesan priest out there and awesome, and also a third order Carmelite. And he said, hey, Therese is going to be named a doctorate. I'll stay in evening mass. You guys have a pizza party. I'll bring the pizza. And I said, sure. And we did it, and he said, no one will come. It's at night. And 70 people came, and it was a blast. And I got out my guest book, and everyone signed it. And so I wanted to have my guest book tonight, because I've given talks here before, but only once before was it on St. Therese's Feast, which is just makes it so, so special. And um, I could not find it anywhere. And St. Anthony, this is my Nigeria guild of St. Anthony from Nadozier's family. He didn't come through in this matter, because I think he wanted me to start another one. We'll find out what parties are ahead of us. But I didn't write in, so it's just a journal. But I'd love to have everyone write their name and then 
Um, your full name and the year that you're in, um, and then your dorm. Just it'd be fun for me to know these things about you. And then um, if you're not a student, you could put your age. Uh, did I really say that? I really can't believe I said that. If you're a young person who would like to put your pre-college age, feel free. Otherwise, you can just say what town you're from or something so I know that, you know. It's like when we go to confession, it's nice for the priest, for those of us who aren't students, to announce, I am a wife and mother. So I went in to Father Haberek, who was here several years ago from Poland, and I think I drove him out of the country. I know, he's still here somewhere. He's a beautiful Dominican. And I went in and I said, bless me, Father, for I've sinned. It's been about a month since my last confession. And I forgot to say the wife and mother thing first. So I said, and I'm a, I'm a wife and mother. And he said with his accent, that's not a sin, is it? <laughs> and I was kind of stunned and said, um, um, and then he said, I'm joking. <laughs> okay, anyway, for more stories on confessions I have survived, there's a book back there called Being Catholic, and it's also great for family members you want to, you know, help learn more about their faith or whomever. But this is going to go around, and I would love it if you guys find a way for everyone to sign it, though I have no idea how that would work logistically. I guess you just pass it one to the next. Okay. Prizes, roses, Father Ken, prayer. I think we're there. Okay. St. Therese and St. Thomas. Um, it's crazy, but right now, I had to write this down because I'm having trouble keeping it straight. They are both having huge anniversaries this year and in the next couple years. So, my mind gets a little confused around math. Ptolemy was a bad thing for me, but I survived. My husband tutored me. I thought, if only, if only I would be attracted to this man, I could have the smartest children, or I, I would never have to think again. And eventually, God answered that prayer, and I fell madly in love with him, and, and he was nice enough to ask me to marry him, and I said yes. So I'm still not good at math, even calculating, and I kept going, how does this work? Okay, this is how it works. Well, St. Therese, I'm going to do first because it's easier for me. She was born in 1873, and so this year, on January 2nd, this past, 2023, she had her 150th anniversary of her birth. She'd be 150 years old. Okay. But then she died at 24 and she, her process was so fast. In fact, <laughs> I think I put a book on the table called Stronger Than Steel. I know I did because before I was willing to part with it, I had to order another one this morning and said, it's okay, Father Ken will pay for it. But it's all letters from World War I soldiers who were asking who were replying and writing to the Carmel where she had been to let them know that they had been saved, their lives had been saved on the battlefield by Sister Therese before she was beatified or canonized. And Pope Benedict XV made an exception to the church's rule that you can't have a medal of a person who's not beatified or canonized lest you outrun the church's <laughs> wisdom and you know, are honoring someone who turns out not to have been that great. He made an exception and let them make medals of Sister Therese because she was appearing on the battlefield and helping soldiers physically. 
She said before she died, her sister said, you won't forget us when you get to heaven, you'll remember us. And she said, I won't just remember you, I will come down. So <laughs> I have to try not to cry because when we went to Lusiu, and we might get to go again at Christmas because our oldest son is in Europe, and so I'm thinking we're going to take the boys. But you go to Lusiu, and there are four big things to see, or five. There's her Carmel, there's her childhood home, there's the cemetery where she was first buried, there's the basilica, and there's the cathedral that was her parish church when she was a girl. And of all those, different places strike different people and draw them in. So I met a couple of really sweet ladies at Les Boussinets, her childhood home, and they said, oh yeah, well we just came here on a pilgrimage once, separately, they didn't know each other, and we fell so in love with this spot that every year we come back and volunteer for a month at this place. That's what we do with our vacations. And, and we become good friends because we always see each other. I love the Carmel and her um, relics are there and there are other relics of hers that travel the world. Someone asked about this relic. Um, I don't know about Mrs. Dillon's. Um, my relic is, it has a certificate of authenticity and it's actually, for the longest time, I was like, wow, this is really bad. St. Therese wants us to trust. And I'd be like, looking at this thing going, with our St. Thomas, it's a piece of his bone, you know? And with Therese, I'm like, is this just like, it fell out sometime? Like, what is in here? No, it's a piece of ash. And the reason is, she wanted to be imitable or imitated by people in everything. So she didn't want to be spectacular, and she knew towards the end of her life that she wouldn't be, in this way at least. Her sister said, wouldn't it be wonderful if we found you incorrupt? And she said, no, people can't imitate that. They would think I was something special. No, I w I'm, I'm, you're not going to find anything. So when they exhumed her body, and as I was about to say, before I interrupted myself, um, died at 24, cause is going very quickly. So we're about to get to only the 100th anniversary. So it's 1923, sorry, 2023. In 1923, um, April 29th, she was beatified she would have only been 50 years old. It was only like 26 years after she died that she was beatified. When they had to exhume her body, sure enough, they found, it seems to me, even almost faster than a normal person might corrupt, they found bones, but nothing else in terms of like all of her clothing and all of her skin and muscles and ligaments and all that. Had, so at first, you know, I'm not, it takes me a little while, so I'm like, wait, there were only ashes. No, there's bones. Like, what are the relics? No, there are bones, but those they preserved. Um, <laughs> the Brazilians made a gorgeous special reliquary way, way, way back when her basilica was being built soon after she was canonized. So again, about 100 years ago to hold her um, right hand, the hand that she wrote with, those bones are in a particular reliquary that's in the basilica in Lisieux. Some of parts of her bones are on a tour right now. And when I ordered the holy cards from the Society of the Little Flower, they said, oh, we've got Therese and her parents here. They're on tour, they're relics. And I said, can you touch the holy cards? And she's like, yeah, no. <laughs> so I said, well, I'll tell the girls that, you know, Therese was there, blessing, you know. So yeah, maybe she tried to do that and they didn't come, or maybe it was just, you know, St. Therese wanting St. Thomas to have a moment in the sun with his holy card. Um, which incidentally, I did look up to make sure the quote on there is authentic. Lately, I've been coming across this thing. I'm a copy editor and proofreader as well as a writer. So sometimes you'll hear, oh, I found the most beautiful quote from St. 
Ambrose about dancing with the flowers and singing with the butterflies and eating Reese's peanut butter cups. I found it on the internet. I'm sure it's true. And so I like to follow these up. And sometimes I'm like, I can't find a source anywhere. But this one, I was reading some Dominicans saying that this quote was on their refectory wall. So without having time to read the whole Summa, I thought it's somewhere. It's somewhere. And if you guys, yeah, come back to me with the, the source and we'll have an extra prize. Um, St. Therese was 24 when she died. Does anyone have 24 on their card? Let's look at your number. You do. All right. So you need to go pick a door prize from the table at the back. And she was canonized, I think it was 26 years later. Does someone have 26 on the back of their card? All right. Time to go pick a prize. And it was about let me see, 24, 26, we'll say 50. Does anyone have 50 on their card? She was about 50 years old. Okay, May. All right. Um, so in the Basilica with some of her relics, she has quotes everywhere that were her favorite scriptures in mosaic around the church. It's unbelievably gorgeous. But in the dome on top, it says, I will come down missionaries, to priests, to the whole church. And I just thought it was so amazing, after loving St. Therese for so long, to find it like true physically in this building, this huge, gorgeous building. Um, she said she would be ashes, and she was. The only thing that survived was a green palm branch that they had put in there in the form of a, I think, I don't know if they, sh no, it was a palm of martyrdom because she was a martyr of love. And that is still green and did not fall apart like a normal palm branch would. That's the one thing that lasted. But the funny thing is it's not on display. It's in the Carmel. So you have to become a Carmelite nun in Lisieux <laughs> if you are so inspired to see that. Okay, so back to these anniversaries. In 2025, since she was canonized only two years after she was beatified, she um, will have her 100th anniversary of her canonization. So... There's like a triple thing going on for her and the Carmelite Order is celebrating it and even UNESCO is calling her a woman of great proportion, you know, whatever, heroism, I don't know, something. And, and there's a lot of celebrations going on. So that's going on right now for her. Um, for St. Thomas, I just found out 700th anniversary of his canonization was this last July 18th, 1323. And in 2024, the 750th anniversary of his entering eternal life or dying, March 7th, that was 1274, will happen. And then in 2025, it'll be the 800th anniversary of his birth. Um, he died when he was 49. He was canonized just like 50 years later, so it's very similar to Therese. And um, as I was thinking about what they have in common, I thought, well, first of all, they're really special patrons for us because it's our college and it's her dorm and she wants to be friends with everybody. But I was thinking more and I thought they have a lot more in common than that because they um, are both doctors of the church. And St. Therese, it was 100 years after she died before she was made a doctor of the church, but that's actually super fast for a doctor of the church. St. John of the Cross, who died in the 1500s, was made a doctor of the church in like 1924 or something. Um, so that was like 400 years. And St. Teresa of Avila, similarly, and St. Catherine of Siena, it was like 700 years. You know, so um, 
pretty amazing, but among the doctors of the church, so I don't know if you guys knew this, but when someone is beatified, the church is saying, um, this person is in heaven. We've done all our investigating, and we could go into that whole story, but that's another whole story, but it's pretty fascinating, and it's really serious. I have a friend who ended up, um, she was she was hoping for a miracle from cancer that she had. This was back in Virginia, and there was a particular servant of God or that she really liked, and she was going to submit that miracle, and it turned out that, like, there are so many rules for submitting a miracle. It has to be an absolute instantaneous physical cure or close to instantaneous and and proven without a doubt. So someone was telling me recently, even if that's happened to you, if you don't have the proper documentation, they won't accept it. I mean, there is it's so seriously studied. Um, with um, St. Therese, she was beatified, and the day of her, be it, the then there has to be it used to be two miracles, now one, have to happen through the intercession of that person with God. We already know they're in heaven. Why? What's the difference between beatified and canonized? Canonized means this person is held up for the whole church as a model in some way. So a beatified person, like we all love blessed Pier Giorgio Frassati. So he's like a super special patron for young people, for athletes, for Italians, I don't know, mountain climbers, um, good-looking guys, I don't know. <laughs> but... He um, is not proposed in the same way for the universal church as St. John Bosco is or St. Alphonsus Liguri. But then St. Alphonsus Liguri is a magnificent doctor of the church. Um, and St. Therese and St. Thomas are doctors of the church. And Saint, different doctors of the church have different kind of specialties that they're known for, that they, their teaching is promoted in that realm. But I was thinking, you know, I haven't run across this with other saints who are doctors. That is when a saint is proposed and presented as a doctor of the church, it's meant that we're, we're, we can learn, we can all learn from their teaching. But it doesn't necessarily mean that we all will learn from all their teachings or the teachings of all of them, I should say. So interestingly to me, St. Thomas and St. Therese share that they are promoted by all of the popes who come after them as being the cat's meow, like, this is not just any doctor of the church. This is the one I want you to really pay attention to. So um, I was going to say briefly a word about a few of the books back there. And I want to do this before I forget because it will lead into the next thing I want to say. Um, so we talked about the relics. And as you get older, you're going to know more people who die. And some of them are going to be really important in your life. And some of them are going to be spectacular. So since my husband and I were here, um, in the earlier years of the school, we knew all the founders and we knew the teachers who came really early. And some of these tutors, I mean, it was a little bit of a blow when my husband became a tutor because I realized they weren't actually demigods. <laughs> so, but I think maybe the founder tutor, earlier tutors were, like Mrs. Dillon's husband, Tom Dillon, and, and Maria's father, just amazing man. Um, Mr. Berquist, Dr. Neumeyer, Dr. MacArthur is a personal favorite because he was such a larger-than-life character. If you guys have the chance to look on YouTube, or I probably the website of the school has it and puts you to YouTube, the 25th anniversary dinner, I think it is, where he's telling stories about the founding of the school and like how they used to be in Calabasas, which was a campus that was gorgeous near Malibu and rented out to Hollywood, and they're having class and look out the window and like Wonder Woman is flying by, you know? They're <laughs> trying to figure out what's going on. I mean, he is just a hilarious man. Um, and then two of my dearest friends, my classmates, 
Maggie's mom, Jackie, there's some pictures of her up here, and our good friend John Siren, who his wife, Angela, married Jack Connolly, and so Luke Connolly is a freshman this year. Um, these two friends died quite early, and we had been part of the awesome fivesome that would meet and talk about becoming saints and make a plan. And then they did it, which really ticked me off because it was like, great. Like it was, you know, if you know the story of the children of Fatima, two of the children died really soon. And Lucia's is like, what about me? And Mother Mary says, don't worry. My immaculate heart will be your refuge. You're going to be here a little while longer, like 70 years. Because a day with God is a thousand years, so a thousand years is a day and all that, right? So I'm like, hey, you guys left me. Where did you go? Well, they went up. So your friends become, if not canonized saints, you know, you can be pretty confident because God loves us and they've been trying to do God's will. Um, you know, if your roommate seems to be a pretty good girl and she gets rid of a sweater, just hold on to it. You know what I mean? <laughs> just saying, you know, just saying. Okay. So, books over there on, um, books have been the salvation of my life. The reason that I'm here is because when I was a girl and I wanted to pick a confirmation saint in seventh or eighth grade, our parish school, we could choose one book a week. And so we picked out, you know, Beverly Cleary or a little later, it was whatever it was, but fun novels. And then for Lent that year, my girlfriend and I say a prayer for Julia, who's away from the faith, but um, she's a wonderful, wonderful woman. She and I read saint books. And I went to her mom and said, I'm going to be, um, choose St. Anthony. And then she said, but your middle name is Antoinette. So you already have Anthony, which I didn't realize. And in fact, my grandmother from Lebanon was named Badwia for Padua and I was named for her. So it really is St. Anthony of Padua. Okay. Um, I read St. Thomas Aquinas next. It took me years and years and years to find it was just the basic vision book that is everywhere. But um, this book is going to go on that table because um, it's a great book and it changed my life. I read it. I chose Aquinas. I heard about, no, I was filling out those little circles you used to fill out for the SAT and which college you would send it to. And there was this Thomas Aquinas College and I was an overachiever taking it for the third time. And so I'd already put in, you know, Harvard and Princeton and whatever. And I put in, oh my gosh, Thomas Aquinas College. You know, you'd think it was like St. Ethelred College. I didn't realize he's the patron saint of, you know, universities and schools and teachers and learning. And there's like 50 colleges named after him. Good. I didn't know that. He was protecting me from that knowledge. So I would <laughs> sign up. And Mr. Sasanka contacted me, and it was this thrilling school that was way different than every other school. And I came here, and that was it. I was done for. So this is a great book. Mrs. O'Reilly, The Way for the President, wrote another book on St. Thomas Aquinas. It's a historical novel. That's, that's going to be over there. His collected works are available on the bookstore, so I bought one, and I was going to read it, but you know that's not probably going to happen, so that's going to go over there. We have another copy, and it's called Learning and Discipleship. One of our other teachers at that time who died while we were here was Father Thomas Aquinas McGovern, and after years of lots of us, but much more important people than me, talking about making a book out of his sermons, I ended up being the one with the privilege to do it. So I got to edit this. And it was hilarious because Father Buckley, if any of you remember him, would tell me he's just this hilarious, sassy old Jesuit. This is your chance. 
you're editing it. Make it say what you want it to. <laughs> <laughs> Father Buckley, I think they'll figure it out, and I really couldn't say it better. I, I, um, we had class with Dr. MacArthur for junior theology, and so he introduced us to St. Thomas, and it really did feel like the pinnacle of the program because he made it come alive. And Father McGovern was like that as well. We had him for Aristotle sophomore year. Please, if you're looking for someone to sympathize about your bad section, do not come to anyone in my class because the class of 87. Um, no, we had the worst division ever. There were only two sections because it was a small school then. And it's not going to sound right when I say this, but all the talkative people were in one and all the quiet people in the other. Now, I was in the quiet section, but the point was... Mr. Peter DeLuca IV, the son of Peter DeLuca here, was also in that class, and we were willing to talk, but then it's really awkward when no one, literally no one else is talking, and then you do the thing where, like, well, I'm not going to talk, so they'll talk, and they still don't talk. It was really hard, but in the class we had with Father McGovern, it was fabulous. Sophomore philosophy, my favorite class here, because he was such a great tutor. And, you know, all the tutors have their different gifts, so I don't want to make it sound like some are bad, but he was phenomenal, even for tutors here. So I find now, ironically, that the way I can learn St. Thomas is by reading his sermons. They're really short, they're really interesting, and um, his sermon on St. Francis Xavier is, makes me cry every time. But he translates St. Thomas for me, you know, like we need that intermediary. But one thing he used to, I mean, I do, I think it's great that you guys are reading St. Thomas. That's the very best thing of all. But when you're reading him together, that's much easier, I find, than reading him alone. And, um, and I'm always impatient, you know. I want to skip ahead, like, okay, objections, yeah, let's get to the point, you know. But um, one thing that I found was that um, if you think of these saints, like St. Saint Thomas, especially St. Augustine, if you realize that they're saints, then you can realize that they want to be your friend, and you can talk to them and ask for your help, unlike you might do with Bacon, God rest his soul, you know? <laughs> so they want to help you, and, um, and they will. Father McGovern used to say, do you need to trust your teacher? And it wasn't like an opening question. It was just a little thing he'd throw out. Do you need to trust your teacher? And here, you know, you kind of think, well, if I had professors who did, gave me lectures, then I'd have to trust them. But I don't have to worry about trusting people here because we're all going to talk and figure it out. Well, St. John's has a program that we're modeled after, but they're not Catholic. And there was a point at which they had the highest suicide rate in the nation. You need to trust your teachers. You need to trust the founders that they put the classes in the right order. And you need to trust the tutors that they're going to help you find the truth. This isn't just a search that never ends. Like, the finding the truth is the awesome part. So he's always asking, do you need to trust your teacher? Well, the cool thing is the school put this book out. And then the school put out Mr. Brooklyn's papers. And learning and discipleship, he's going to ask a question and answer it. Do you need to be a disciple of St. Thomas, or can you just pick and choose? And the answer is, well, if you're a disciple, you're going to learn a heck of a lot more. So I'm going to have Nicolette put these on the back table, and I'm going to ask if anyone has the number 97, because in 1897, Sarah died, and in 1997, she moved back with the church. Does anyone have 97 on their card? How about 197? Oh, no. 97. 97? Okay, how about 47? 
raise your hands on this one. How many of you have any version of Thomas in your name anywhere? Anyone besides me? I just meet someone recently. The guys, probably. Okay, how about, how many of you have for your first names some version of Therese? Okay, I want you guys to go pick something out from the table. How many of you have taken, uh, have Therese as a middle name or some version of Therese? Okay, I want you to go pick something out. How many of you took Therese as your confirmation thing? <laughs> all right, without a stampede, when there's a moment, I want you guys all to go pick something out. Okay. Um, these can go back on the table if someone wants to take them. Okay. Um, also, real quick, the four best books on St. Therese, in my humble opinion. Okay. Story of a Soul, her own writing. Any edition is great. I could talk forever about the different editions and they're all, they have really neat things about them, but this is the ICS critical edition, the Institute of Carmelite Studies, and um, it's beautiful. Um, how many of you have read I Believe in Love? Yeah, isn't it great? It is so great. So these need to go back over there too. And then, let's see, oh, thank you so much. Oh my gosh, this is a very little known book called A Retreat with St. Therese. We found it as, I called Town Books about an out-of-print book that I wanted to have republished. I was just calling to see if they had it. And then I ended up talking to an assistant editor somehow. It was really bizarre. I called it a late night and she just answered the phone. It was years ago. I don't know if this still happens, but it was very fun. We talked about St. Therese a lot and I convinced them to republish this book. And on the back, not this book, a different book, it was called The Whole World Will Love Me. It was a really good biography of St. Therese. And on the back they put, Carmelites everywhere love it. And I was like, yes, we do, I do. Um, but she told me that a little group in India had sent them lots and lots and lots of copies of super poorly printed on really poor paper with orange covers books called A Retreat with St. Therese by Ter Viagra, who is a CSSP, I think it's Holy Spirit priest. Um, forgive me, Father Viagra, because I love your book. We got that book. We absolutely loved it. Um, it ended up getting into the hands of Dr. MacArthur. It became one of his favorite books. My husband, like, he read I Believe in Love over and over again for spiritual reading for years. And then we got this book, and he read this book over and over again. Like, and it reminds me that Dr. MacArthur used to say when we were doing theology, St. Therese knew this. St. Therese knew this. And it's just something about that mystical lifting of her, along with St. Thomas's mystical, but also disciplined lifting um, into the wisdom of God. So this book is magnificent. And um, again, if you're not getting it and you want it, let's see what we can do. Write it on your Je Voudrais list over there. And, um, and I'll see if we can find a way to get some co copies around here. Um, this is really one of my very favorites. And I lost the library's copy and bought them a new one because I don't know what happened, but I keep your eyes out throughout your whole entire life for this book. Father Thomas Taylor was one of the first people. Okay, remember the guy who invented Little Flower in this hour, Show Your Power? Apparently, he was the very first one to suggest the canonization of Therese, to which some of her sisters in the convent said, no, I think her uncle. Anyway, all these remarks. First of all, before she died, what are we going to say about her when she dies? Secondly, she was so hidden. Secondly, we can't canonize every sweet Carmelite that comes along, <laughs> you know, et cetera. So he saw it, 
Archbishop Benziger, but also Thomas Taylor was a Scottish priest. He ended up putting into print uh, a first edition of like a collected works. So it's got story of a soul in it. But then what I love, selections from her poems and her counsels to the sisters. But then he's got the process of canonization and beatification. Then he's got showers of roses. The Carmel was throwing away the letters that they got in the first years. Like right away, she had written at the request of her sisters and her mother superior and her sister Marie, some writings that they put together into Story of a Soul, which is basically a memoir of her love relationship with Jesus. It's awesome. If you haven't read it, please do. Um, and they put it together as a circular letter they would send out to all the Carmels, but usually that was a short biography to inspire the other ones, whereas with her, it was a book. The uncle sponsored a thousand copies of the book, and they all said, we'll never get rid of it. It was gone within months from word of mouth. She had said, I will come down. She had said, I will spend my heaven doing good on earth. She said, I will let fall a shower of roses, and she really meant it. So she did start doing these things. So it got translated into all the languages of the world within a matter of years, and she was everywhere, and he puts this together and says to them, stop throwing away the letters. So they start publishing them as showers of roses. There were seven volumes with thousands of cures, thousands and thousands. And you can come across little books sometimes, and in these, in different editions of this green book, they'll have different showers of roses, and you read the different stories of the miracles that happen. Some of them are just, you know, uncorroborated, but like, why would this missionary priest lie that they were begging God to send them students for their school and didn't have any and said a novena to St. Therese, and then the chief converted and the whole village came or something like that. You know, like you could not, it wouldn't be hard to figure that out that they're making it up. Like just really, really fun. She cares <clears throat> so, so much. So this is not for sale, sorry. And <clears throat> I can't promise you to get you one of that, sorry. But it's in the library. And the other thing is if you, a lot of you put down, <clears throat> excuse me, put down your dorm because I'm happy to try to get copies for the dorms and then you guys could share them around. Some of them are already in the library. The last book I'm going to recommend, this one I can get you, as many as you want. I wrote it. I was really encouraged to find a publisher. I sent it to several publishers. I've published other books before. Each time, the big Catholic publishers would say, this is so great, it's going to change lives. And then the next level up would say, nah, mm -mm. And they'd all have different reasons why. My favorite, I love the Institute of Carmelite Studies. They are they publish the best stuff, all the original works of the Carmelites. And my husband and I are secular order discalced Carmelites, so that's great for us. They said, we don't think our audience is the right one for this book. It's <laughs> like, all I do is Google something new on St. Therese. Like, you know, I'm just looking for something new on St. Therese. I'm like, yeah, no, okay. It was all the Holy Spirit because by publishing it with a little made-up company and having um, friends of mine help who were professionals and really talented, and I'd worked with them before, like the interior design was done by this wonderful woman, Nora Malone, who does work for Ignatius Press and Sophia Institute Press. And she was like, oh yeah, no, I'm not gonna charge you for this. I wanna do this for St. Therese. So anyway, we made a beautiful book and now I can get copies fairly cheaply and Monsignor Ken has you know, provided me money to do that. So any of my books, that's easy. The other ones I can try. Um, this can go back up there. And now I wanna get to the very particulars of um, I don't want to talk too long because I want you guys to have a chance to just visit and not take up your night, but I want to get to some of the particulars that I find beautiful in common with the teaching, the actual teaching of St. Thomas and St. Therese. 
Um, first of all, does anyone have number 77? Because I love the number 7, and it's a very holy number. 77? All right. Okay, how about 33? That's kind of a good number. And all of you with um, Therese as your confirmation saint, did you get a chance to go over? Okay. How about any of you who have a mother named Therese, Teresa, Terry, something like that? Yeah. Oh, Maria, you better go over there. Yeah, yeah. Help yourself. Okay. And any of you who are the first ones in your family to come here, raise your hand. Oh, yes. Okay. I want all of you guys, when you get a moment, when it's not crowded, to go pick something out. We've got a lot of good books and some Catholic kitchen over there, so I want to make sure it all goes to good homes. All right. What I want to do is read you some things from these great saints. First of all, because this is in my lap right now, this is a quote from St. Thomas. Um, so St. John of the Cross, in the living flame of love, had said, this is the property of love, to seek out all the good things of the beloved. This is the property of love, to seek out all the good things of the beloved. So this is our relationship with Christ. I mean, really what I should say first is that they were both madly and madly in love with Jesus. They were crazy people. St. Therese was really crazy. St. Thomas, he's like my husband, like they're good and calm, you know. St. Therese, she was a nut. She could, she, they said about her in recreation, she could make you laugh until you cried and split your sides. And then she could make you cry tears of devotion in the next minute. They would go out and they would be disappointed if she wasn't there at recreation. But also when she was out at recreation, she might pick out the person who didn't have a friend and go, there was one nun in the convent that was really, really hard to deal with who thought that Therese was her best friend because Therese was that nice to her. Now, lest she start sounding like someone we can't stand because she's way too perfect, you should know that there were other things about her that were just fabulous, like getting back to that rosary and praying the rosary badly. She was okay when she said the rosary in a group, I think, and I'm like, yeah, honey, say the rosary with me, you know? Um, but when she had to say it alone, she said she rather would have, she would have rather used an instrument of penance. It was that painful to her to get through a rosary. Um, she was so great about prayer because she said, I fall asleep all the time at prayer. Imagine, imagine, like, this is kind of cute. Um, she, her, her job, a Carmelite, what a Carmelite does is pray. That's what a Carmelite does. I mean, they do other things to balance their life, but they pray. She fell asleep every time she prayed. And I saw a movie. I thought if my husband died, then I would go become a Carmelite. And I saw this movie about the Carmelites and they're on their knees in this uncomfortable position. And I was like, yeah, no, that's not going to happen. <laughs> so she's there with no support and you're on your knees, and it sounds very romantic, you know, in the chapel, our Lord's there, she would wake up with her head on the floor every time. And this could have discouraged her, but she didn't let it because the Holy Spirit inspired her to realize parents love it when their children are sleeping. And I mean, once you become a parent, you really know how much you love it. <laughs> and she said, why would God be upset if I'm sleeping when I go to be with him? Like, I fell asleep on his lap. He's not going to mind that. Um, she also said what is so consoling to me, it's quoted in the catechism at the beginning of the section on prayer. Prayer is for me 
a simple glance, and I'm not going to quote it correctly, but like it's a glance, it's a sigh, it's a smile. Just those little things, that's a prayer. We don't have to always say long prayers badly <laughs> or well. Um, okay, so St. Thomas, in love with God, he said the same thing as St. John of the Cross earlier. He was a couple hundred years earlier, and St. John of the Cross was a student of St. Thomas's, and St. Therese loved St. John of the Cross, and one of our blesseds, Marie Eugene, who knows the Carmelite saints inside and out, he said he thought St. Therese was the only perfect person to ever understand St. John of the Cross perfectly, which to me means even if she wasn't reading St. Thomas directly, she was knowing all of that wisdom too. St. Thomas said, the lover is not content with a superficial apprehension of the beloved, but strives to investigate from the inside all particular things that belong to the beloved so as to penetrate to his inmost being. You know, it's like when you get your roommate, um, if you guys get along and you really start becoming good friends, you want to know everything about the other person. Later when you're dating, if you find the right guy or if you go to a religious order, this is how you're going to end up with Jesus. Like, this is Jesus is our, our ultimate beloved, our ultimate spouse. We want to be knowing everything about him. We're not content with the superficial apprehension of him. But, you know, the reverse is true. Jesus wants to know everything about you, and St. Therese is teaching us that as well. Just be normal with him. Just tell him about your everyday life. Go in and complain. Go in and thank him for things. Just in your own words. I mean, beautiful prayers are beautiful, but simple prayers are great too. Okay, so I have this binder that has in it an article by Dr. MacArthur um, that talks about the importance of intellectual custom and the formation of the mind, but he ends with a bunch of quotes of the Pope on St. Thomas. And it's gorgeous and fabulous, and I was going to read a bunch of it, but I don't want to keep you too long, and there's other things I want to read more. So there's also an article that has the Pope's on St. Therese. So this is going to be my gift to you guys. I'm going to leave it here in the dorm. Um, I've got some pages marked, but don't worry about that. And um, I think I have two of them. And I just wanted to make sure to show you guys Father Ken. So before I go, I'll take his picture out. And I can leave in the one of Therese's cell and the one of her um, in the crypt of the Basilica, my favorite place in the whole entire world. At the front of it, she's standing with her arms up in a statue. And there's a mosaic behind her of angels with buckets and baskets of roses standing with the Virgin Saint. And I like to say it's um, the style of this crypt church, which was built... Pope Pius XI, who beatified her and canonized her, and she was the first that he did both of those with, called her the guiding star of my pontificate, kept her relic and her picture on his desk. You know, she, probably he had lived the span of her whole lifetime. I mean, that's possible. If not, not long after, because she just, all this happened so quickly. But this little girl, he loved her so much and her teaching that he said, these pilgrimages and these shower of roses, they're not going to end. I can see where this is going. Build a basilica, make it beautiful, big, and do it quickly. Even with World War II, they started in 1929 and finished in 19... Well, first it was consecrated in 1937, I think, for the crypt, and then World War II interrupted somewhat. No bombs fell to destroy... Sorry, all of Lisieux, which is in Normandy, France, was bombed. 
tons of destruction. It was really interesting to walk in this small village and see all the new construction, which was actually done really well, next to the old, old, old stuff. But her places, the sisters had to leave the Carmel and take like archives, and her sisters were in there, three of them, and they're taking all this stuff and going into the basilica underneath to hide from the bombs. Lots of Lisieux was destroyed. None of her special places except the Benedictine parish school or, or parochial school, the school she went to that she didn't like at all. <laughs> that one was gone. But everything else was protected by her, kind of like San Giovanni Rotundo and Padre Pio. So um, I like to say the crypt is done in Byzantine Vegas style because it's like classic and beautiful and um, has the most amazing shimmering pastel colors and you start realizing that all the flowers and birds and nature are not just generic, but like those are daffodils that she loved or those are marguerite daisies, you know, whatever. You, they're, they're so exquisitely beautiful. Um, around the edge are all chapels of her favorite saints. Um, Francis de Sales just had his 400th anniversary of his death. And so there was at least was a Francis de Sales book up there. Anybody have Francis in your name who hasn't already chosen something? No Francis's. Not to sales. It could be a CC. No Francis's. How about? Oh, can't confirmation saint. Any confirmation saints, Francis? Half of you? No? Oh, wow. Okay, absolutely. Anybody with Claire in your name? Okay. Well, you only get one, but you know, you can always come back. Um, Claire as a confirmation name. Oh my goodness, this is fascinating. Yeah, all right, all right, come on down. Um, okay, number 58, because that's how old I am. <laughs> Anybody have number 58? Okay, Therese, you know what? Get one for um, Mary Margaret. <laughs> how about um, 57, because I married a younger man? <laughs> yeah? Okay, pick out the person sitting closest to you who doesn't have one. Who do you see? All right. <laughs> I was going to say, who should be studying now? and have that person go next. Okay, no. Um, I wanted to finish um, by 8.30 so as not to exhaust you. I was thinking my husband has seminars on Tuesdays, and I feel like doing Tuesdays with St. Therese and just coming back all the time because I could talk about St. Therese forever. But... What I'm going to read to you is something she said on gratitude that's just fabulous. Okay. I'm trying to think if I missed anything that I wanted to say about the similarities between St. Thomas and St. Therese. Um, yeah, okay, friendship. We'll do that in one sec. She wrote to her sister Celine, what most draws down graces from our dear Lord is gratitude, for if we thank him for a gift, he is touched and listens sorry, hastens to give us 10 more. And if we thank him again with the same sincerity, what an incalculable multiplication of graces. I have experienced this, try it and you will see. My gratitude for all that he gives me is boundless and I prove the, this to him in a thousand ways. So I'll say that again. What most draws down graces from our dear Lord is gratitude. For if we thank him for a gift, he is touched and hastens to give us 10 more. And then she multiplies that out. This is true. Thank God for things, and you just, I love it. She'll say things, like she'll say, 
I never go to the Blessed Mother without being answered quickly. Try it. See. <laughs> and um, she's very sweet and delicate. She says, sometimes I go to the Blessed Mother instead of Jesus because, or God. I know that God will just give me what I want right away because he's so indulgent to me, but he might not really want to, so I'll go to the Blessed Mother and have her ask so she can figure out if he really wants to give it to me. Um, I think the thing I wanted to tell you about very quickly before we end is, you know what, this is fun. I think one quick thing is that since I'm not going to read all of those quotes from the Popes about St. Thomas, which I wish I could, I just want to read this one I found in a book. Pope Pius XI writes in his encyclical in honor of St. Thomas, June 29th, 1923. Oh, wow, 1923, so 100 years again. And although his metaphysical teachings have aroused the bitterness of hostile critics, yet they still retain their force and splendor like pure gold that no acid can dissolve or tarnish. I just thought that was so beautiful and poetic. Okay, so the last thing is about friendship. Let's see how fast I can make this. Um, my gift that God gave me through TAC, I suppose it was threefold. Um, well, no, there's no counting it, but okay. I mean, the big thing was the truth, because I came here and I was pretty confused, but I just was wide open, and whether it was learning from my friends who told me things I shouldn't be doing with boys, or whether it was the priests who guided us and were so generous with their time, or whether it was actually the classroom, it was amazing what a difference it made to me to learn that like we're supposed to be guided by our reason, not just our emotions. Now, I want to balance that out by saying that years later, I needed to learn from the great Catholic psychiatrist, Conrad Bars, that our emotions are super important, too. And he gets that from St. Thomas, that our emotions are supposed to work and help our reason. But still, I did need to know that reason was a big deal. Um, and then friendship. Friendship was, you know, incalculable. So... Um, Cherish these friendships you have, develop them, ask God to bless them, enjoy each other, have fun, have fun. St. Thomas has this beautiful passage in the Summa on sorrow. It's okay, I looked it up last night so I might remember. It's the Prima Secundae. It's question 30, hmm, 536, 38, something around there. And it's, I think it's question 38, it's on sorrow. And he asks the causes of sorrow and what sorrow is, but then he asks about what are the remedies for sorrow. And he says these amazing things, like thinking about the truth is a remedy for sorrow. Okay, good, good St. Thomas, we expected that of you. <laughs> Friendship is a great remedy for sorrow. Baths are a great <laughs> remedy for sorrow. I think I'm forgetting a couple and maybe chocolate is one of them. I can't remember. But I just thought it was so beautiful that he put friendship there. He has a commentary on the ethics and we took a class on that in grad school and he's going to talk about, you know, friendship. And he just, he just is brilliant. I mean, you've got Aristotle to start with, but then you've got St. Thomas and um, he himself learned more through prayer than study. So he's like that 
guy or a girl in your class who doesn't have to study the props and comes in with alternate proofs, you know, just kind of holds the book to his head for a second and goes, oh, well, you know, this is what I think Einstein meant. In my class, our dear, dear friend who was like that would sleep in and we had an 8.30 class and I was like, no, you have to get up, we need you. But that wasn't, I mean, St. Thomas would wrestle over these problems and then he'd go lean his head against the tabernacle. Or Saints Peter and Paul would appear to him and help him solve a problem. And then later, just to show how darn pertinent he is, I don't know if any of you guys know Edith Stein. She's so magnificent. I was going to write a dissertation on her until I realized that'd be a lot of work, so <laughs> no. Um, she kind of introduced me to the Carmelites, and that was finally, I mean, besides St. Therese introducing me. Oh, which reminds me. The other anniversary is that 40 years ago this year, I came here to TAC. I was roommates with Jackie Ford, became Jackie Lemon, she did. And I got to say for the rest of my life to people who were wondering how they might know me, I'm Jackie's roommate and realized, no, not anymore, but it still opens the doors. And, um, and I get to know all her beautiful kids who come here. The other is that this weekend will be 40 years since I made my first holy hour here on October 7th, the Feast of the Rosary. I had a senior who was befriending me and saying, go in the middle of the night, it's so romantic. So I go in the middle of the night and she gives me a book and it's called The Complete Spiritual Doctrine of St. Therese by Francois Jamar. And it's a fantastic book and that was my first introduction to St. Therese 40 years ago this weekend. So um, the years will fly by and um, then they'll drag it goes both ways, you know that. But the friendship of the saints and the friendship of your friends who will become saints and the friendship of you as you're becoming saints is like the best, best, best thing. Um, friendship with the tutors. I have a letter from Dr. MacArthur that I reread as I was like going through my things that he's thanking me for giving him a book on Elizabeth of the Trinity, who's a great Carmelite. And I'm like, how fun to be thanked by this great, great guy. Okay, St. Therese tells this story, and this will be my last thing. She tells a story, I think I really need to, if you guys have the time, I want to read it in her words, and I think I need, no, I don't have reading glasses, so we'll see how we go. Um, all right. She always thought it would be really neat to dream about a saint, and she never had that. Again, she wanted to be imitable, and she really was. She has this, like, dual thing going on, where in her life, she wanted to be forgotten and hidden, and she was. She really was. And then towards the end, she started realizing by a prophetic knowledge what God was going to do. So she was in the infirmary and her sisters, her blood sisters and her novice were writing down every word she said. That's a book called Her Last Conversations. I wanted to get it for you, but I couldn't get a hold of it. It's out of stock, which is really lame, but it's because it's such a great book. So she would say these crazy things like they're cutting her fingernails and she's like, keep those. You're going to need them. <laughs> she's unpeddling a rose over the crucifix to console Jesus. And she's like, keep those, you're gonna need them. My very favorite was, this is actually not related to that, but she was really insistent that all the virtue in her was God, was God working in her. So humility is truth and she knew the truth. And I mean, if you've ever experienced any depression, okay, this is completely random. If any of you have or know anyone who has panic attacks, there's a fantastic book by Dr. Claire Weeks called Hope and Help for Your Nerves. So this has nothing to do with anything except I mentioned depression and I think, oh yeah, we are such pitiful beings, right? Like angels make sense, but why are we putting separated substances into matter? Bad, bad idea. Okay, that's okay, we're here, it's good to exist. Um, she said, everything is from God, all my virtue is from God, it's not me. 
if you read the last part of Story of a Soul, she talks about charity, and it's just fantastic. I've had different people who are friends who happen to be tutors come up to me and say, I just read that. I cannot believe, like, where has that been all my life? She talks about how Christ himself in us is the way we're going to be charitable. Well, they kept saying, you're so patient, you're so good. Different sisters, not her blood sisters, I think, but the others. And um, she would say, no, it's God, no, it's God. And finally one day she snapped, I am not patient. <laughs> and they were like, yeah, I guess not. <laughs> so she wanted to have a dream of a saint. And then she did. At the first glimmerings of dawn, I was in a dream in a kind of gallery, and there were several other persons, but they were at a distance. Our mother was alone near me. Um, I'm trying to remember if she means her mother superior or Teresa of Avila. I think her mother, her, her mother in the order. Suddenly, without seeing how they had entered, I saw three Carmelites dressed in their mantles and long veils. It appeared to me they were coming for our mother. But what I did understand clearly was that they came from heaven. In the depths of my heart, I cried out, oh, how happy I would be if I could see the face of one of these Carmelites. Then, as though my prayer were heard by her, the tallest of the saints advanced toward me. Immediately I fell to my knees. Oh, what happiness. The Carmelite raised her veil, or rather, she raised it and covered me with it. Without the least hesitation, I recognized Venerable Anne of Jesus, foundress of Carmel in France, um, who was a companion of Teresa of Avila. Her face was beautiful, but with an immaterial beauty. No ray escaped from it. And now remember, this is not a vision. She's just having a dream like we might have, <laughs> if we're lucky. <laughs> I saw no ray escape from it, and still in spite of the veil which covered us both, I saw this heavenly face suffused with an unspeakably gentle light, a light it didn't receive from without, but was produced from within. I cannot express the joy of my soul, since these things are experienced, but cannot be put into words. Several months have passed since this sweet dream, and yet the memory it has left in my soul has lost nothing of its freshness and heavenly charms. I still see Venerable Mother's glance and a smile which was filled with love. I believe I can still feel the caresses that she gave me at this time. Seeing myself so tenderly loved, I dared to pronounce these words. Oh, Mother, I beg you, tell me whether God will leave me for a long time here on earth. Will he come soon to get me? Smiling tenderly, the saint whispered, yes, soon, soon, I promise you. I added, Mother, tell me further if God is not asking more of me than my poor little actions and desires. Is he content with me? The saint's face took on an expression incomparably more tender than the first time she spoke to me. Her look and her caresses were the sweetest of answers. However, she said to me, God asks no other thing from you. He is content, very content. After again embracing me with more love than the tenderest of mothers has ever given to her child, I saw her leave. My heart was filled with joy, and then I remembered my sisters, and I wanted to ask her some favors for them, but alas, I awoke. Oh, Jesus, the storm was no longer raging. Heaven was calm and serene. I believed, I felt there was a heaven, and that this heaven is peopled with souls who actually love me, who consider me their child. This impression remains in my heart, And this, all the more, because I was, up until then, absolutely indifferent to Venerable Mother Anne of Jesus. I never invoked her in prayer, and the thought of her never came to my mind, except when I heard others speak of her, which was seldom. And when I understood to what a degree she loved me, how indifferent I had been toward her, my heart was filled with love and gratitude, not only for the saint who had visited me, but for all the blessed inhabitants of heaven. 
Okay, I have to break my word. There's one more thing I have to read. Um, because it's related, and it was what I really wanted to tell you. I'll see if I can find it. Dr. MacArthur, another letter falls out. We are so blessed to know these things. Oh, my goodness. It is a consolation for you to do good and to procure the glory of God, said a sister to her. I wish I were equally favored. And Therese says, what if God does make use of me rather than of another to procure his glory? Provided his kingdom be established among souls, the instrument matters not. Besides, he has no need of anyone. Some time ago, this makes me think of the Easter vigil here, I was watching the flicker, almost imperceptible, of a tiny nightlight. One of the sisters came up, and having lit her own candle in the dying flame, passed it round to light the candles of the others. And the thought came to me, who dares glory in their own good works? It needs but one such faint spark to set the whole world on fire. We come in touch with burning and shining lights, set high in the candlestick of the church, and we think we are receiving from them grace and light, like we receive from St. Thomas. Um, but whence do they borrow their fire? Very possibly from the prayers of some devout and hidden soul whose inward shining is not apparent to human eyes, some soul of unrecognized virtue and in her own sight of little worth, a dying flame. What mysteries we shall one day see unveiled. I have often thought that perhaps, okay, this is key. Are you ready for this? This is how you get in good, right? Okay, this is great. When we were in grad school and we were taking our comp, I knew I couldn't do it. So I would just flee and go shopping or read a novel or go in front of the tabernacle and pray. And there was a guy who was a kind of half Catholic who was like, I am totally paying attention that you are not studying like you should. And I'm like, yes, and I am not as smart as you guys, but the point is I can't do this unless I take it easy. So I studied all the old tests and I made history at Notre Dame because it seemed that you had to study all the way through Hegel in order to pass the comp, the written comp. But I discovered, you see, when it's practical math, I can do it, that you could actually just finish with Kant and skip Hegel, and you wouldn't have a choice of your questions, but you could get through it. I like to calculate and be sly. And I mean, in these ways that don't hurt anybody, you know? And, um, and then you pray a lot to St. Joseph of Cupertino. <laughs> um, I have a blog. It's called Miss Marcel's Musings, and you can read there what it is, but it's myname.com, and then there's a blog there. And I just wrote a little bit about St. Therese and St. Joseph of Cupertino. She actually talks about him to her sister, Celine, and says to Celine, she's dying. Celine is like, how are you going to come get me when I'm lame and you're awesome? And Therese is like, yeah, well, I'll tell you what. Remember how St. Joseph of Cupertino answered that question right, and then all of his buddies got to go in too? That's what I'll do for you. I'll answer for you. <laughs> So, St. Joseph of Cupertino. But meanwhile, here's what she says. What mysteries we shall one day see unveiled. I have, ev I have often thought that perhaps I owe all the graces with which I am laden to some little soul whom I shall only know in heaven. This is bizarre, and I know there are a lot of people who need your prayers, but you can say a prayer for the saints. In fact, it used to be a common practice to have a mass said in honor of a saint you loved because God is out of time and he sees your prayers. So if you read the story of a soul and St. Therese is suffering and she doesn't know that heaven exists anymore, but she's clinging with all her fate, she actually wrote the creed in blood by pricking her finger in her cell because she was so dang determined not to let the devil steal that from her, even though she was so tempted against the faith at this one moment. I mean, she was so human and amazing. 
Um, but she's saying, you know what? Maybe I'll owe all the graces I've had to someone else. It is God's will that here below souls shall distribute to one another by prayer the heavenly treasures with which he has enriched them. And this in order that when they reach their everlasting home, they may love one another with grateful hearts and with an affection far beyond that which reigns in the most perfect family circle upon earth. In heaven, there will be no looks of indifference. Isn't that kind of cool? Because all the saints owe so much to one another, no envious glances will be cast because the happiness of each of the blessed is the happiness of everyone. With the doctors of the church, we shall be like unto doctors, with the martyrs like unto martyrs, with the virgins like unto virgins, just as the members of one family are proud of each other. So without the least jealousy shall we take pride in our heavenly brothers and sisters when we see the glory of the great saints and know that through the secret workings of providence we have helped them to attain it, our joy and their bliss may perhaps be as intense and as sweet as their own. And do you not think that the great saints themselves, seeing what they owe to us little souls, will love us with a love beyond compare? Friendship in paradise will be both sweet and full of surprises. Of this I am certain. A shepherd boy may be the familiar friend of an apostle or of a great doctor of the church. A little child may be in close intimacy with a patriarch. How I long to enter the kingdom of love. The last thought I'm going to give you is, do not be afraid of God. He loves you so much. I wish I could share with you how much he loves you. But don't be hard on yourselves because you feel like you're failing, and it's only because he hasn't given you the ability to succeed. So complain to him. <laughs> hey, this is your work. You brought me to Thomas Aquinas College. You're, you're, you're wanting me to discern what I'm supposed to do. Help me. Make him. Force him. He adores you, and he is restraining himself from plucking every single one of you into heaven right now. Your families would be entirely distressed. Uh, he's good that way. When Therese talks about his mercy, she's brilliant, but then she says his justice I love even more than his mercy because he knows how pitiful we are and that we're made of dust. He takes that into account. So he is not ready to smack you. It's like that beautiful picture I had of Jesus with the children, and one of my friends said, oh, I, yeah, we had that in my house. I used to think Jesus was about to hit us. <laughs> He is not about to hit you. He loves you. He wants to stroke your hair. He wants you to tell him all your joys and sorrow. He wants you to have more ice cream. He wants you to laugh with your friends. He wants you to worry less about school. And um, I think he wants me to end. So I will. 